Chapter 3 The Reluctant Spouse and Their Relationship with God In this chapter, I will help you understand how your reluctant spouse perceives and deals with their relationship with God. Although I did not get many questions concerning this topic, those that I did receive were worth answering. As in the previous chapter, I have chosen some of the most frequently asked questions pertaining to this topic to provide clarity and insight into this area of your spouse's life. At the end of each question, I will also give you very clear and actionable tips that you can incorporate into your situation to assist you in being able to help your reluctant spouse better navigate through the rocky terrain surrounding their relationship with God. Question. Is your faith shaken? Answer. This was a very interesting question for me, mainly because it was a common question, but also because it was often written ambiguously. So I am left to interpret the true intent of this question. (laughs) Here's what I see this question really asking. How can you justify your current actions with your presupposed belief in faith in God? Assuming that they had a relationship with God to begin with, for reluctant spouses, this area becomes very cloudy. Prior to my marital dysfunction, I would have considered myself very spiritually astute. Despite that, I was still able to go astray and eventually get to a point where my faith was shaken. Just like the process of gradually drifting from loving your spouse to not loving your spouse, there were deliberate and conscious decisions that were made. You have to remember that with reluctant spouses, their voids become their main motivators and their desire to protect themselves from the pain that these voids produce alters the way that they experience their world. Their ability to see truth for what it really is becomes diluted, often leading them to come to conclusions about their situation that aren't rational. So for me, whereas at my core, my faith was shaken, on the surface, I believed that my decision to cheat on and leave my wife were somehow covered by God's grace. I surmised that at the end of the day, I deserved to be happy, that God would not subject me to living a life full of pain, confusion, and turmoil. After all, God is not a God of confusion, right? (laughs) I found it easy to create a world where the rules were modified to accommodate my shortcomings. The same is most likely true for your reluctant spouse. Before you attack this paradigm, please understand that this way of seeing things is merely your spouse's way of coping with the deeper-seated guilt and turmoil. He is confused, but desperate to be safe and secure. As a result, his decision-making will tend to accommodate that, causing him to create a God that makes them feel safe and secure no matter the condition of his heart, what you can do to help them. This understanding will help you to be more empathetic with your spouse. You will need to use empathy strategically if you are to help him through this struggle. Here are tips that you can use to help him in this area. Remember that he is confused. Don't buy into his lies or you will find yourself not only believing them, but being wounded by them. Constantly remind yourself of this truth. Or you risk gradually being sucked back into the chaos that is the reluctant spouse's experience. Empathy is your greatest ally during this season. If you lack it, learn it. If you possess it, give it. Tomorrow, give it again. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by what God is saying to you. Listen intently to what God is saying to your heart about the condition of your reluctant spouse's heart. 
Don't go based off what you see. Rather, interact with your reluctant spouse based off of what God has told you about them. As a matter of fact, what has God said specifically about your spouse and your marriage? Write it down and revisit that daily. Seriously. Like, if you have to pause this, answer that question. The question is, what has God said about your spouse and your marriage? Write it down and revisit it. Okay? All right, let's continue. Truth is most often received by others when demonstrated by you. What this means for you is that you can't verbally attack their current position. Their truth is their reality, just like your truth is based off of how you see the world. Instead, provide an example of what real faith in God looks like by how you demonstrate unconditional love and by how consistently you stand on what God has told you about them and your marriage. Question. Why would you willingly disobey God? Answer. This answer, okay, this answer may sound appalling at first, but I presume that after some careful deliberation, you will notice that it is no different than why most people willingly disobey God. So check this out. <laughs> Your spouse is disobeying God willingly because the pleasure of immediate gratification is more appealing than the pain of any future consequences. On the surface, they believe that their behaviors are justified, but at their core, they know the negative implications of their behaviors. For me, the pleasure of connecting on an emotional level with another woman was in the moment a thousand times more appealing than the potential consequences of my destructive behaviors. It's no different than a person who smokes cigarettes, right? In the moment, the nicotine does something to the body that produces much more pleasure than the thought of the damage the cigarette is actually doing. After a while, I became addicted to the pleasure, almost as if I had finally found a solution to my daddy issues. Finally, I'd found someone who could affirm me the way that I needed to be affirmed. So I took the bait. I willingly defied God and convinced myself that God was somehow able to bless this mess. <laughs> He did it for David and Bathsheba in the Bible, right? <laughs> this is the reality of the delusion that your spouse is experiencing. They choose immediate pleasure over future pain and will see themselves as the exception to the rule. Your immediate reaction will naturally be to call them out on this logical fallacy. I urge you to please resist that. Okay? Resist that urge. <laughs> what you can do to help them. If you call them out in their confusion at the wrong time and in the wrong manner, you risk isolating your spouse from yourself even further. Instead, try these techniques. First and most importantly, become the example. Be the person that you want your spouse to be. For me, the greatest image of Christ that I have ever seen was my wife standing unconditionally for our marriage. In spite of the pain, the depression, the loneliness, and the rejection that she was experiencing, she allowed the light of God to shine through that darkness. Literally. Also, she did or didn't do what most of you will be tempted to do. She never tried to guilt me into repenting. She demonstrated perfectly what the Bible speaks of when it teaches about repentance. So the Bible says it this way. It is the mercy of God that leads to repentance not the wrath. It was my wife's mercy that led my heart to transformation. Through her demonstration, my spirit was able to be convicted. You want conviction, not guilt. 
Guilt is painful and forces your reluctant spouse to hide because it pains the mind. Conviction bypasses the mind and goes straight to the person's heart and spirit. Conviction is the soil that repentance is grown in. Remember that. Question. Why won't you repent? Answer. By now, you might be able to guess the answer. But if not, allow me to do it some justice. The quick and easy answer is that your spouse can't repent. They literally can't repent because they lack the strength, willpower, and resourcefulness to repent. Remember, repentance doesn't mean to simply ask for forgiveness or stop what you're doing. Repent means to drop what you're doing, turn around, and go the opposite direction. Now do you see why they can't do it? Repenting would mean that they would literally have to become vulnerable again. Repenting would mean that the very things they are doing to fill those voids will have to be abandoned. Repenting would mean that they would have to become empty again as they journey back into the dark waters of not feeling safe, no matter how much they justify their behaviors. At the core, they know this simple but scary truth. Remember that with reluctant spouses, whether they are cold or lost, the biggest motivator is the need for safety and security. Remember that as humans, we are pain-avoiding and pleasure-seeking creatures. We instinctively protect ourselves when we feel threatened. For your spouse, reacting to this thought of repenting would be no different than what happens to your body when dust gets in your eye or when a food particle gets lodged in your throat. Your body repels it. In the next question, I will share with you more about this, but for now, let's discuss what you can do to help them through this. What you can do to help them. For most people, the thought of turning away from whatever they are doing to go in an opposite direction is not that attractive, especially if you consider that we are always driven by pleasure. So whatever I'm doing in the moment must be giving me some type of pleasure, or I wouldn't be doing it to begin with. So instead, here's how you should approach the topic of your spouse in repentance. Don't approach the topic. <laughs> yes, you read that correctly. Don't recommend to your spouse that they repent unless, of course, you receive clear directives from God to do so. Doing so at the wrong time and in the wrong manner will often create more defensiveness in your already reluctant spouse. Your job is to create connection, not division. Instead, let God do his job. Remember this video, and this is a video in the book. I'll link it up. But if you're listening, just go to mendourmarriage.com slash spiritual dash authority dash in dash your dash marriage. If you haven't watched this video, go back and watch it again and then watch it one more time. This concept of having spiritual authority in your spouse's life is the most important thing to remember when it comes to praying for your spouse. Praying for your spouse's heart to receive conviction is the best and most covert strategy for prepping the soil of their heart for repentance. Once you match consistent proper prayer with consistently modeling a renewed posture of unconditional love, you will have a winning combination. Question. I am considering inviting my husband to church on Sunday, and I have often debated on how many Bible verses, etc. I should send to him at this time. I don't want to come off as holier than thou, Yet, I realize I'm likely one of the only individuals in his life encouraging him spiritually. Is it possible to be thrown too much God? Answer. 
considering your spouse's current condition, the answer is unequivocally absolutely yes. <laughs> Allow me to elaborate. And this is mainly for lost reluctant spouses as cold reluctant spouses will most likely not be around to even have these conversations. Here is a little secret into how your reluctant spouse is currently seeing God. He sees God as an ally who is secretly really trying to get him to change so that you could be happily married again. Beneath the surface, he sees God as another reminder of his failures and inadequacies as a husband and thus a potential threat. He doesn't see God as being safe and thus will deliberately choose not to trust God. The odd part is that this is exactly how he views you. He is transferring his views of you onto his perception of God and thus blaming God for his current situation in similar ways that he blames you. In a sense, you and God are working together to get him to come back to you. You and God only want to restore the marriage, even if that means that he will again be overlooked and unhappy. In the end, your spouse honestly believes that God is severely disinterested in his happiness. So when you begin to overtly use God as a tool, your spouse will notice this and reject that notion. He will rationalize that if both you and God were really interested in his happiness, he would not be requiring him to go back to a situation that produces such discomfort. He will theorize that you are being selfish and biased and thus not trustworthy. If he doesn't trust your motives, he won't trust your words. Because of this, you will need to be creatively strategic if you are to be successful in this area. What you can do to help them. Yes, I do mean creatively strategic. <laughs> Again, being too overt will evoke more distrust in your spouse as he will believe that you are only doing things to get him to come back. Instead, here are some creative strategic alternatives for you to incorporate with your husband. Leave scriptures on the walls and in places that you occupy the most that are visible enough for him to read, if applicable. Mandy did this. Mandy's my wife, guys, if you don't know. Mandy did this on accident, but it worked. I would peruse the scriptures and affirmations that she had on her mirror in the bathroom or on her side of the bed when she was not around. Also, if possible, send them scriptural and affirming messages that have nothing to do with his sin. Messages that are more focused on his potential, his calling, and how God sees him. Mandy placed one of these on the alarm clock that sits on the nightstand next to my bed and still is there to this day. Your method may be to text messages or emails. Use this medium as tools, but do them as directed. Meaning, you will have to get direction from God regarding the best times, the best messages, and the best medium to use. Lastly, never seem desperate or overly eager in this area. Instead, let him watch you grow in your independent relationship with God. If he rejects your offer or your attempts, don't take it personal. Remember that he is reluctant for a reason. Learn his rhythm of receptivity. There will be moments where he is more open to your attempts versus moments when he is not. Plant seeds in the right seasons. Question. What is God saying about it? Answer. I will tell you what God told me during my season. <laughs> yes, I wasn't so lost that God couldn't communicate to my heart. I was just a little stubborn. <laughs> there were days and even weeks when I would purposely ignore God. I would not pray. 
I would distract my mind so that it was infrequently quiet and I would intentionally disobey God so as to create more distance. I reasoned that the more distance between me and God, the more difficult it would be for me to hear God. That was so not true. (laughs) God was constantly assuring me that he was not after my marriage being restored. He was after my heart. To this day, that thought still breaks me down. He would also tell me that he wasn't angry with my behaviors and that he understood where I was at. He was the only one who could understand where I was at. God would reassure me that his grace was truly sufficient enough to carry me out of this fog of confusion and fear that I was nesting in. Most importantly, he promised me that he was patient and that his love was truly long-suffering. And no matter how long it took for me to change, he would be there waiting with his arms open wide in eager anticipation, not disappointment. Hearing that made the transition easier and it kept me from feeling betrayed when the natural consequences of my destructive behavior started to kick in. I assume that this dialogue or something very similar is happening between your spouse and God. This will happen even if your spouse is cold. Your job is not to add to the distortion that your spouse is hearing, but rather to serve as a mouthpiece for God. What you can do to help them. Serving as a mouthpiece for God is sacred ground, a position that we often screw up. There are certain strategies that you can utilize that will help you to have success in this area. Let's explore them before moving on to the next chapter. You have to have an ear that is capable of hearing what God is truly saying about your spouse. Crying out to God when you should be listening to God will cause you to labor when you should be resting. Just like your body in the natural, your spirit grows faster and easier while you are resting opposed to when you are active and working. Here is a word of caution regarding warring for your spouse in marriage. If you notice that the more you war, the more anxious you get, you may be warring the wrong way. Often, warring is less of you fighting and interceding and more of you resting in his presence. Often, when we interfere with certain spiritual battles that we aren't supposed to fight, we become the very casualties of war that we're supposed to be fighting against. Lastly, keep your connection with God clear by maintaining emotional balance. Emotional imbalance is like old school dial-up internet. The connection is slow. There's a tremendous lag time and there are limitations to what can be downloaded. Remember that even Jesus said that he only did and said what he saw his father do first. If you try to accomplish this process with only your knowledge and strength, you will fizzle out very fast. The Reluctant Spouse in God Out of the questions that I received that focused on how reluctant spouses interact and view God, the five questions included in this chapter provided me with the best opportunity of shedding insight into this very fragile and personal topic. Use the information in this chapter to help you pray more specific prayers so that you can intercede from an offensive and not defensive position. Now that you have a better understanding of your elected spouse and their relationship struggles with God, let's move on to discovering a more in-depth view of the mind of your elected spouse.